Chapter 16, Part 1 of The Shades of the Wilderness. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michael Packard of Western Colorado. The Shades of the Wilderness by Joseph A. Altscheller. Chapter 16 Spotsylvania. Part 1. Harry secured a little sleep toward morning and although his nervous tension had been very great, when he lay down he felt greatly strengthened in body and mind. He awakened Dalton in turn, and the two, securing a hasty breakfast, sat near the older members of the staff awaiting orders. The commander-in-chief was at the edge of the little glade, talking earnestly with Hill and other important generals. Harry often saw through the medium of his own feelings and the rim of the sun, beginning to show over the eastern edge of the wilderness, was blood-red. The same crimson and sinister tinge showed through the west, which was yet in the dusk, but in east and west there were certain areas of light where the forest fires yet smoldered. Both sides had thrown up hasty breastworks of earth or timber, but the two armies were unusually silent. A space of perhaps a mile and a half lay between them, but as the light increased, neither moved. There was no crackle of rifle fire along their fronts. The skirmishers, usually so active, seemed to be exhausted, and the big guns were at rest. The fierce and tremendous fighting of the two days before seemed to have taken all the life out of both north and south. Harry, inured to war, understood the reasons for silence and lack of movement. Grant had been drawn into a region that he did not like, where he could not use his superior numbers to advantage, and he must be shuddering at the huge losses he had suffered already. He would seek better ground. Lee, too, was in no condition to take advantage of his successful defense. The old days when he could send Jackson on a great turning movement to fall with all the crushing impact of a surprise upon the northern flank were gone forever. Stuart, the brilliant cavalryman, was there, but his men were not numerous enough, and, however brilliant, he was not Jackson. The sun rose higher. Mid-morning came, and the two armies still lay close. Harry grew stronger in his opinion that they would not fight again that day, although he watched like the others for any sign of movement in the northern camp. Noon came, and the same dead silence. The fires had burned themselves out now, and the dusk that had reigned over the wilderness before the battle recovered its ground, thickened yet further by the vast quantities of smoke still hanging low under a cloudy sky. But the aspect of the wilderness itself was more mournful than ever. Coal smoldered in the burned areas, and now and then puffs of wind picked up the hot ashes and sent them in the faces of the soldiers. Thickets and brushes had been cut down by bullets and cannonballs, and lay heaped together in tangled confusion. Back of the lines, the surgeons, with aching backs, toiled over the wounded as they had toiled through the night. Harry saw nearly the whole southern front. The members of Lee's staff were busy that day carrying orders to all his generals to rectify their lines, and to be prepared to the last detail for another tremendous assault. It was not until afternoon that he was able to look up the Invincibles again. The two colonels and the two lieutenants were doing well, and the colonels were happy. We've already been notified, said Colonel Talbot, that we are to retain our organization as a regiment. We are to have about a hundred new men now, fragments of destroyed regiments. Of course, they won't be like the veterans of the Invincibles, but a half dozen battles like that of yesterday should lick them into shape. 
I should think so, said Harry. Do you believe that Grant is retreating? asked Lieutenant Colonel St. Hillier. Our scouts don't say so. Then he is merely putting off the evil day. The sooner he withdraws, the more men he will save. No Yankee general can ever get by General Lee. Keep that in your mind, Harry Kenton. Harry was silent, but rejoicing to find that his friends would soon recover from their wounds, he went back to his place and saw all the afternoon pass without any movement indicating battle. Night came again, and the scouts reported to Lee that the Union army was breaking camp evidently with the intention of getting out of the wilderness and marching up to Fredericksburg. Harry was with the general when he received the news, and he saw him think over it long. Other scouts brought in the same evidence. Harry did not know what the general thought, but as for himself, although he was too young to say anything, it was incredible that Grant should retreat. It was not at all in accordance with his character, now tested on many fields, and his resources also were too great for withdrawal but the night was very dark, and no definite knowledge yet came out of it. Lee stayed by his little campfire and received reports. Far after dusk, Harry saw the look of doubt disappear from his eyes, and then he began to send out messengers. It was evident that he had formed his opinion and intended to act upon it at once. He beckoned to Harry and Dalton, and bade them go together with written instructions to General Anderson, who had taken the place of General Longstreet. You will stay with General Anderson, subject to his orders, he said, as Harry and Dalton, saluting, rode toward Anderson's command. Their way led through torn, tangled, and burned thickets. Sometimes a horse sprang violently to one side and neighed in pain. His hoof had come down on earth, yet so hot that it scorched like fire. Now and then sparks fell upon them, but they pursued their way, disregarding all obstacles, and delivered their sealed orders to General Anderson, who at once gathered up his full force and marched away from the heart of the wilderness toward Spotsylvania Courthouse. Harry surmised that Grant was attempting some great turning movement, and Lee, divining it, was sending Anderson to meet his advance. He never knew whether it was positive knowledge or a happy guess, but he was quite sure that the night's ride was one of the most singular and sinister ever made by an army. If any troops ever marched through the infernal regions, it was they. In this part of the wilderness, the fires had been the worst. Trees still smoldered. In the hollows, where the bushes had burned the thickest, were great beds of coals. The smoke, which the low, heavy skies kept close to the earth, was thick and hot. Gusts of wind sent showers of sparks flying, and despite the greatest care to protect the ammunition, they marched in constant danger of explosion. Harry thought at one time that General Anderson intended to camp in the wilderness for the night, but he soon saw that it was impossible. One could not camp on hot ground in a smoldering forest. I believe it's a march till day, he said to Dalton. It's bound to be. If a man were to lie down here, he'd find himself a mass of cinders in the morning, and it will take us till daylight and maybe past that to get out of the wilderness. If he didn't burn to death, he'd choke to death and never breathe such smoke before. It's because it's mixed with ashes and the fumes of burnt gunpowder. A villainous compound like this can't be called air. How long is it till dawn? About three hours, I think. You remember those Greek stories about somebody or other going down to Hades and then having a hard climb out again? We're the modern imitators. If this isn't Hades, I don't know what is. It surely is. Whew, but that hurt. What happened? I brushed my hand against a burning bush. The result was not happy. Don't imitate me. Dalton's horse leapt to one side, and he had difficulty in keeping the saddle. His hoof had been planted squarely in the midst of a mass of hot twigs. 
The sooner I get out of this infernal or Hades of a place, the happier I'll be, said Dalton. I've never seen the like, said Harry, but there's one thing about it that makes me glad. And what's the saving grace? That it's in Virginia and not in Kentucky, though for the matter of that, it couldn't be in Kentucky. And why couldn't it be in Kentucky? Because there ain't no such godforsaken region in all that state of mine. It certainly gets upon one's soul, said Dalton, looking at the gloomy region so terribly torn by battle. But if we keep going, we're bound to come out of it sometime or another. And we're not stopping. A man can't make a bed on this mass of coals, and there be no rest for us until we're clear of the wilderness. They marched on a long time, and as day dawned, hundreds of voices united in a shout of gladness. Behind them were the shades of the wilderness, that dismal region reeking with slaughter and ruin, and before them lay firm soil and green fields in all the flush of a brilliant May morning. Well, we did come out of Hades, Harry, said Dalton, and it does look like heaven. But the trouble with our Hades, George, is that the inmates will follow us. Put your glasses on your eyes and look over there. Horsemen, as sure as we're sitting in our own saddles. And northern horsemen, too. Their uniforms are new enough for me to tell their color. I take it that Grant's vanguard has moved by our right flank and has come out of the wilderness. And our surmises that we are to meet at our right. Spotsylvania Courthouse is not far away. And maybe we are bound for it. And maybe the Yankees, too. Harry's words were caused by the sound of a distant and scattering fire. In obedience to an order from Anderson, he and Dalton galloped forward, and from a ridge saw through their glasses a formidable Union column advancing towards Spotsylvania. As they looked, they saw many men fall, and they also saw flashes of flame from bushes and fences not far from its flank. Our sharpshooters are there, said Harry, and he was right. While the Union force was advancing in the night, Stuart had dismounted many of his men, and, using them as skirmishers, had incessantly harassed the march of Grant's vanguard led by Warren. Each army has been trying to catch the other napping, said Dalton. And neither has succeeded, said Harry. Now we make a race for that Spotsylvania Ridge, said Dalton. You see, if we don't, I know this country. It's a strong position there, and both generals want it. Dalton was right. A small Union force had already occupied Spotsylvania, but the heavy southern division crossing the narrow but deep river Po drove it out and seized the defensive position. Here they rested, while the masses of the two armies swung toward them, as if preparing for a new battlefield, one that Harry surveyed with great interest. They were in a land of numerous and deep rivers. Here were four spreading out like the fingers of a human hand without the thumb, and uniting at the wrist. The fingers were the Mat, the Ta, the Po, and the Nye, and the unit where they united was called the Mataponi. Lee's army was gathering behind the Po. A large Union force crossed it on his flank, but, recognizing the danger of such a position, withdrew. Lee himself came in time. Hill, overcome by illness and old wounds, was compelled to give up the command of his division, and early took his place. Longstreet also was still suffering severely from his injuries. Lee had but few of the able and daring generals who had served him in so many fields. But Stuart, the gay and brilliant, the medieval knight who had such a strong place in the commander-in-chief's affections, was there. Nor was his plumage one bit less splendid. The yellow feather stood in his hat, and there was no speck or stain on the broad yellow sash, and his undimmed courage was contagious. But Harry, with his sensitive and imaginative mind that leapt ahead, knew their situation to be desperate. 
His opinion of Grant had proved to be correct. Although he had found in Lee an opponent far superior to any other he had ever faced, the Union general, undaunted by his repulse and tremendous losses in the wilderness, was preparing for a new battle before the fire from the other had grown cold. He knew, too, that another strong Union army was operating far to the south of them in order to cut them off from Richmond, and scouts had brought word that a powerful force of cavalry was about to circle upon their flank. The Confederacy was propped up alone by the Army of Northern Virginia, which, having just fought one great battle, was about to begin another, and by its daunting commander. The Southern admiration for Lee, both as the general and as the man, can never be shaken. How much greater, then, was the effect that he created in the mind of impressionable youth, looking upon him with youth's own eyes in his moments of supreme danger. He was in very truth to Harry another Hannibal as great and better. The long list of his triumphs, as youth counted them, was indeed superior to those of the great Carthaginian, and he believed that Lee would repel this new danger. End of chapter 16, part 1. Recording by Michael Packard of Western Colorado.